welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. When Donald Trump ran for President of the United States in 2016, he pejoratively pledged to drain the swamp. This metaphor, referencing the policies and politicians which he deplored, refers to the large portion of Washington, D.C., which lies at sea level and was in fact a swamp before it became the seat of our nation's government. Once Trump took office, he appointed people associated with the special interests he condemned during the campaign. They included corporate executives from Goldman Sachs and ExxonMobil, politicians who sought to curtail, if not dismantle, the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Energy, for example, and their political allies. Some say, instead of draining the swamp, Donald Trump trumped the swamp. In this edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Alan Cooperrider, PhD, and Sid Cooperrider, a computer whiz. This father and son duo created Drain the Swamp, a standard 54-card deck of playing cards that portray and feature informative details about the ever-changing cast of characters in the Trump administration, Congress, and the so-called shadow government. When Alan and Sid Cooperrider visited the studios of Radio Curious on September 8, 2017, we began our conversation when I asked Alan about the genesis of the Trump the Swamp deck of playing cards. We, like many people, were upset at the last election. I hoped that maybe Trump could, once elected, could turn into more of a statesman. And as it turned out, just the opposite happened. And his promises to drain the swamp weren't <laughs> real at all. Instead, he started filling up the swamp with perhaps even worse people than we've had there before. So we got the idea, Sid, do you... We, we have a website, and Sid illustrated one of the things I wrote with a picture of Trump as the King of Diamonds. With, yeah. uh, I just took a regular uh, king of, I'm not sure what suit, and I just made him with really tiny hands, as the one of the Trump jokes is, yeah, which he's very sensitive about. And then it gave us this thought, why don't we make a whole deck, and maybe we could get some information out about these people who are... Filling, refilling the swamp under under Trump, and we sort of got started and sort of planned how we might do this, and we wanted to make it fun but also informative. So tell us about the planning. What did you do to get the information that resulted in uh, uh, 52 cards? Well, yeah, I had the idea that we'd sort of do the different branches of government and each one would be a suit, and they're more or less organized that way. Uh, <laughs> the branches of government, of course, traditionally it's the legislative, the Congress, and the executive, but uh, we added two more which we thought were critical in what's going on. One is the military, which probably is a third branch. And the, the military fourth, and uh, spy agencies. Yeah. 
in the, the same suit. <laughs> the same suit. And then the fourth is what we call the shadow government, which are the people who have a lot of influence on the president, but uh, are not uh, necessarily vetted by Congress or have to be approved by Congress. They, they're just sort of those who hover around in the White House and give them advice. So the, those are the spades. And, of course, there is the, uh, the, the judicial branch, and we decided it was appropriate to make them the jokers because, in a sense, they can trump both the legislative and the executive. Well, let's stay with the shadow government and um, tell us how you chose the people to include in uh, the 13 cards of the shadow government. Well, without going through all of them, it, it, it appeared at the beginning that uh, what we call the king of spades, Steve Bannon, uh, was calling a lot of the shots. He was almost a de facto president. He could walk in and and uh, tell the president what he thought should be done. So and then we sort of worked down to other advisors who were in the news at the time and uh, various key White House offices with uh, access to the president, pretty ready access to the president. So that's what we figured. We picked out the ones we thought were most appropriate. And, and who are they? Can you tell us about, uh, about some of them? Um, let me go through a few of them. Well, it's Ryan Sprebius, who was, came from the Republican Party, uh, but was playing a key role as an advisor. And is the chief of staff until he was summarily uh, dismissed. Yeah, was, was, was chief of staff. Mick Mulvaney, who's a key office uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget. Well, what about Mulvaney that drew your attention to him? Well, it's pretty powerful position in terms because he's really the one in charge of putting together, you know, the federal budget. <laughs> so uh, that seemed pretty critical. Gary Cohn, who's still there, director of the National Economic Council, is uh, another key player when it comes to economic issues, and the one they're counting on to get this tax reform, which is one of uh, Trump's big pushes. Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump are the queen and jack of spades. So there's uh, how many spades are gone since we printed? Steve Bannon. Six people in total. Sean Spicer. Oh, and Wright's previous. So yeah, since the printing. <laughs> so as an aside, but um, apropos to your deck, do you plan to update the deck uh, with replacements to those who have uh, left? Definitely. We're, we're looking at probably a new, new deck out in November or so uh, with new information and, and, of course, new people. <laughs> Uh, so the shadow government is, I, I chose that as a place to begin because they are such a shadow yet in such control of what happens to everyday people and the life of those of us who are everyday people. Definitely. Yeah. So tell us some more of the ones who you have. So the 10 of spades is Kellyanne Conway. She's the alternative facts creator. Um, and some of the others, Sid? Well, um, going down the line, we have uh, Stephen Miller, the architect of the first uh, Muslim ban, is the nine of spades. Sean Spicer, who has provided us so much entertainment, uh, not only him, but 
uh, through Saturday Night Live is the eight. And I think you went through a, a few of them. At the bottom of the pack for the spades, we have the energy advisor, Mike Cottonzaro and Scott Pruitt, whose title is a little bit different than his official title here. As this two of spades here, he's a administrator of the Environmental Destruction Agency. And before he was appointed to that uh, title, uh, actually being the uh, director, that, that's I think the official title is director or administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, he made his uh, living as the attorney general of Oklahoma and repeatedly sued the U.S. government to dismantle, uh, with the goal of dismantling the EPA. Yes, many many of these people have been put in positions, and we'll maybe hit on some more of them, uh, really in agencies they never liked or even criticized, and then they've been put in charge of them. And it's kind of shocking that if you believed in the mission of the EPA, uh, to see somebody there who, who does not believe in, the, in its mission and is really doing everything to make it less effective. Are there more, Sid? That's all the spades, uh, but continuing on that line of, of thought there, on most of these people, uh, their titles are usually exactly what they are. Steven Mnuchin is Secretary of the Treasury. But uh, we also have his logos. He has a Goldman Sachs and a, a One West Bank. Sometimes we've changed a few things, and one of them, I think my favorite one, um, is uh, Tom Price, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. However, in the deck, he is Secretary of Health and Human Sacrifices. And we, we had the uh, former press secretary as the Minister of Propaganda. Yeah. Seemed appropriate. If we move into the diamonds, um, the five of diamonds is Rick Perry, Secretary of Energy, the department one of the three departments he wanted to abolish but couldn't remember the name of. It's when he was running for the nomination. That is, is rather surprising that he wanted to abolish it, but he didn't know what, and now he's the head of it. And uh, <laughs> Alan Cooperwriter, in putting this together, what was your goal in making these uh, decks of cards available? Well, my, my hope was that it would be informative for people who maybe aren't the sort of, uh, you know, news junkies that Sid and I are, uh, may not be aware of some of these facts about the people who are affecting their lives in Washington. And uh, and even as a news junkie, uh, there were little facts that, that I dug up that was pretty surprising, like, uh, well, two things that stand out if you look. One is how rich these people are. And two is how long some of them have been there, particularly when you look at the Congress. You know, people have been in place for 20 years or so, or more. Uh, so you're saying that some of them were former members of the House of Representatives or the Senate for 20 years or more, and now they're on the executive side, uh, effectively uh, having more control over what it was they um, wanted to do or perhaps disassemble. Yeah, yeah, and many of them coming out, and others coming straight from industry to key positions. Can't help think of uh, Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, spent his entire career with Exxon Mobil, 
no experience in diplomacy or statecraft or government or anything. It's it's kind of shocking. In fact, it's it's shocking how many of them never had any any experience with the things they're leading. Uh, Betsy DeVos, the Queen of Diamonds, never been to a public school, attended one. Her kids have never attended public schools. Has no background in education at all. But her net worth is one and a quarter billion. And she is the uh, cabinet secretary uh, for the Department of Education. Yes. And, and we also thought, you know, setting it up as a regular deck with all the suits and all the the numbers and so on, that and this is something you could take to your, you know, weekly poker game or bridge game or whatever and, and say, let's play with this deck this time. See what sort of discussions you could have during the game. Have you had any experience doing that? We took them to a family reunion where they were put out. What's the reaction of the people who have seen the cards? Most people, I mean, if they pay attention to them long enough to, to, to figure out what more than one of them might be about, they, they uh, usually want a deck. For people who want a deck, how do they find it? Um, they can go to docyale.com slash cards. That's your website. That is. This first printing, we did a limited edition, only 100 decks. The next one probably will not be limited like that. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Alan Cooper Ryder and Sid Cooper Ryder of Mendocino County, California, the home of Radio Curious. This father and son duo are the creators of a standard 54 deck of playing cards called Trump the Swamp. These cards highlight characters of the Trump administration and its congressional allies. Their website is www.docyale.com slash cards. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Alan and Sid, I understand that you had difficulty in getting the original printer uh, to agree to print more. Uh, can you tell us that story? So we did an, an Indiegogo campaign, and during that, we printed two prototype decks. So we could show that, yes, they're real cards, they shuffle, they actually work. And so near the end of the campaign, I wanted to get one more printed to proof before we printed um, the amount that we sold. And the printer told me that we don't print images of politicians who are involved with copyright. And so I tried to clarify, do you mean you think that some of these images are copyrighted? Because being the designer for this project, I made sure all these images are either public domain or just attribution required. And so that was all right. So what I think they meant was they're not going to print images of politicians of, you know, w with Trump. I guess they're scared of Trump. Um, so after a while trying to clarify, they just ignored me. So I had to find another printer. It took a few weeks to find one. Um, a, a bunch of printers actually told me right away that they weren't going to do it when I told them what it was. Did they say why? 
um, some, like like a bicycle card company, uh, said they refused to print images of living people without their consent. I've, I've worked in the printing industry for a long time, and I've never heard of that before. I've never seen anything like that. Eventually, we found a printer in Orlando, Florida, and the the good part of that is these cards were printed in the USA during Made in America Week. What are the aspects of your background that aided you in creating this project? Well, I, I've always been kind of interested in politics from, from a young age. And uh, when I see what's going on, and I also was, I worked 20 years for the federal government, so I've seen how it operates from the inside and how things have slowly gotten worse. Uh, I, of course, wasn't at very high levels, but I was in a position where I could see what was going on at the higher levels and how that could affect even the federal employees at mid and lower levels. And, and I have the highest respect for the civil servants, but uh, not necessarily for those over them <laughs> in the uh, political appointee positions. So this is very interesting to me. And when I worked with, you know, like Interior Department and EPA, and see what what is being done to those departments. It's it's kind of it's disillusioning. What was the work that you did for those twenty years with the federal government? I, I basically worked as 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 a wildlife biologist, conservation biologist, uh, sixteen years with the Bureau of Land Management, and four years with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Where were you working? Where were you based? Well, I worked kind of all over the West, but uh, longest period was in uh, Colorado. But I had a position which took me to all the all the western states on a regular basis. So. And Sid? I've been a, a designer, a graphic designer for a long time, a publisher of newspapers and such. So um, uh, as the designer for the cards, yeah, it was it was a fun project to, to you know, find pictures and figure out, you know, the, the look and and figure out how much information we can actually pack in there. Most of the information Alan wrote, I dug up a few facts, but see how much we could we could uh, pack on the card and make it look, you know, make it look fun and still have some good info on it. Yeah, and I want to add, I, there's no way I could have done this project by myself uh, with, without Sid's help. I just don't have any expertise with with. Uh, graphics the way he does, but it seemed like a pretty natural thing that I could work with him and uh, we could do this together. And you've known each other for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a few years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sid and Alan Cooper Ryder, you also have some Democrats uh, in your deck. Can you tell us about them? We do. Um, the name of the deck is Trump the Swamp, and uh, Trump made a promise to drain the swamp, and it's pretty obvious that he's just refilling the swamp. But there's some some swamp monsters that uh, are Democrats, and we uh, I think the leadership of the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Richard Durbin, and Steny Hoyer are uh, uh, are just uh, swamp monsters like most of the rest of the Congress. What do you mean swamp monsters? <laughs> well, uh, 
each one of the cards uh, depicting a person, uh, since the name is Trump the Swamp. These are all the uh, the, the swamp monsters of... Uh, these are the ones that are still there, the ones that maybe Trump wanted to drain. But I'll, he's brought in a bunch of new ones. These are the old ones and the other party, but they're still swamp monsters. One of the things that impresses you when you look, and these are all leaders of their party in Congress, is how long some of them have been there. <laughs> it's like, I think Nancy Pelosi, 26 years, something to that, close to that. Net worth of 29 million. Is she in touch with the people she's representing? I don't think so. Alan, I see that you have a, a quote that you brought along that you feel that would be important to share. Could you give us some background and read it, please? Yeah, this is actually uh, a quote from Henry Wallace, who was the vice president of the United States from 1941 to 45, so had the uh, position of being able to see what had happened in Germany and, and what happened during the war. And so that just read a little bit of it. It says, The American fascist would prefer not to use violence. His method is to poison the channels of public information. With a fascist, the problem is never how best to present the truth to the public, but how best to use the news to deceive the public into giving the fascist and his group more money or more power. They claim to be super patriots, but they would destroy every liberty guaranteed by the Constitution. They demand free enterprise, but are the spokesmen for monopoly invested interest. Well, I, I think that really describes the swamp creatures pretty well. Well, Sid and Alan Cooper-Ryder, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I have the usual questions that I ask all of our guests. Um, and the first one is that maybe one of you could answer and then the other, and we'll go on to the next question. The first one is, uh, can you tell us about an aha or eureka moment in your life that changed your perspective of the world or your life's direction uh, or turned on a light that you hadn't seen before? Uh, relating to what we're talking about, I had an aha moment after the election last November that things could really change. And, and some of the assumptions I'd always had about the future of this country were maybe not true, that we could always count on, to, to a relative degree, a free press and free speech, uh, rule of law, equality under the law, uh, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Uh, wasn't so sure anymore, and I'm still not. I still think we need to be very concerned that we may be moving in the direction of uh, tyranny. And Sid? Your aha moment? My aha moment has uh, nothing really to do with this project, but I'll lay it out anyway. Uh, um, years ago, you know, looking around the, the, the earth here, it looks like you know there's life everywhere. And it, it occurred to me that, well, everything is really alive. The earth itself, everything on it, life is everywhere. Except, as far as life goes, even though it's everywhere on the planet that we can see and underwater and in the air, for some reason, most people assume that it ends at the end of Earth and everything else out there is not life. And that just seems really strange to me. 
And Alan Cooper Ryder, what would you like to do with the remainder of your One Precious Life? Well, probably lots of things, but uh, I want to keep on. I've been very happy with my life, and I want to keep on doing the things I like doing. I wouldn't mind more recreation, but uh, I want to contribute somehow to making as best I can, uh, making the world a little better for future generations, and above all, not doing harm to future generations. And Sid? Uh, the remainder of your one precious life? I definitely want to contribute to the betterment of of our world and our future generations. I also will probably continue building what uh, what is now a, a seven-story treehouse in a circle of redwoods, which is my newfound passion. I'd like to ask you both, before I ask you about a book, when you say um, contribute to the betterment of the world— what are some of the material uh, or philosophical aspects that you would like to um, present or contribute? Well, with the, my background in biology and conservation biology, I, I think it's very important that we really do a much better job of, of conserving life and biodiversity on this planet. And that's what I work for when I with the government for 20 years and still involved in it in a few different ways and like to do what I can to get people to understand that uh, we only have one planet here and we better take care of it. Sid? If you're not thinking about how far your food has come to where it was made and where you're eating it and how much fossil fuel is being burnt on the way, then um, you probably aren't going to be too prepared for the future. We need to think about where our food comes from, how it's grown, how we're going to relate as human beings with each other, how we want to relate, instead of having this imposed by a government that right now is obviously trying to divide us. How are we going to relate? What new systems do we have to put into action? There's a lot of work to be done, and it seems like we're really close to the, the edge of where we can't say it's not going to matter anymore. Uh, Alan Cooper Ryder, I see that you have a book in uh, your hand. Uh, Is that one that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Yes, it is, and I think it relates to what we've been talking about. The book is called On Tyranny. It's written by Timothy Snyder. And Sid Cooper Ryder, uh, what is the book that you could recommend to our listeners? I would have to recommend a book called Minerals for the Genetic Code. Alan Cooper Ryder and Sid Cooper Ryder, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you, Barry. Alan Cooper Ryder, Ph.D., and his son, Sid Cooper Ryder, a computer whiz, are the creators and distributors of Trump the Swamp, a standard 54-card deck of playing cards which portray and feature informative details about the ever-changing cast of characters in the Trump administration, Congress, and the so-called shadow government. Their website is www.docyale.com slash cards. And the email is S-I-D-D-H 
IAC at gmail.com. The book Alan Cooper Writer recommends is On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century by Timothy Snyder. The book Sid Cooper Writer recommends is Materials for the Genetic Code by Charles Waters. This program was recorded on September 8, 2017. There are over 630 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. Email is curious at radiocurious.org. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. Thank you.